This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. All right, you can take your seats. And we're going to stay right here. So if you were turning in your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to stay in Second Chronicles and on to the next chapter. So in our offering message here, we learned about Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, and some of the ways that he did not serve Yahweh. But now we're going to learn about Hezekiah himself and some of the things that he did to transform Israel. And we also, I gave you some context last week. So if you're listening on the podcast later, these two messages go together. They're both, they'll both have the name King Hezekiah inside them. So you can kind of know that they go together. But um, it says, chapter 29, verse 1, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. I love this. We learned last week that there had been no king like Hezekiah. And it, it doesn't even like say since David or anything. It's just like in the book of Kings, it said that there had never been a king like Hezekiah before, which is awesome. And now we learn a little bit why. He becomes king, and in the first month of the first year of his reign, what does he do? He reopens the temple of God. And those of us in this room, like if you haven't, if you're not as familiar with the book, books of Kings and Chronicles, this is an era in Judah of great tumult. And his father had reigned and did not serve Yahweh God, had shut down the temple and was storing a bunch of foreign gods in the temple. So this was like a huge shift and change. You know, like here in America, we're used to like every four years, maybe every eight years, we got this big change in leadership and stuff. But like, imagine a wicked king reigning for decades and the direction that the country goes in that amount of time. And the king's incentivizing people to, to worship different gods and setting up altars where it's really e- it's easy to worship. And th- think of even that mindset of easy, like, Oh, you have to travel to Jerusalem. Well, we'll just set up high, high places and altars everywhere throughout the kingdom. So you don't have to travel far, you know? Like, it, it seems to be based on convenience instead of based on what God said to do. And <clears throat> so anyway, Hezekiah sets out and has to undo all of the things that his father had done. And it took him years to do it. And during Hezekiah's reign, you could call it like, a revival in Judah. Revival's breaking out. Things are changing. Things are shifting. They're uprooting old mentalities, old ways, getting rid of other gods, foreign gods, and learning like, okay, we got to serve Yahweh. We got to serve him alone. And this story is kind of, it's a longer story. I'm going to breeze through like two whole chapters, and we're not going to read every little line because that would be half my sermon. (laughs) It's just reading the stuff. So you can go back and read it for yourself and kind of fill in some of the gaps. I'm going to try and give you a little bit of a summary today, and we're going to skip through two chapters in Second Chronicles here. We're going to figure out who Hezekiah was. We're also going to figure out a little bit what revival can look like. And 
I don't know if you've ever noticed, but our church name is Revive Chicago. <laughs> Revive Chicago. Why? Because we have a heart for Chicago to be revived. That's our prayer. That's, that's why we exist. We exist to help spark a revival in Chicago. And we know we're not going to be the only church that gets hit. But we want to be part of that. We want to help facilitate that. And we want to grow in our hunger and our faithfulness and our desire and our capacity to, to for lack of a better term, contain the revival. Right? Like if a revival is something God pours out, like there's got to be a container to fall into or it just kind of splashes everywhere and then goes away. So we're doing our best to like create a framework, to create capacity in all of us as individuals and as a group. For when God wants to move, when God wants to pour out, when God wants to increase, we're ready. We're ready. We're not just overwhelmed. I'm like, oh man, I gotta go to church more? It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of like if God's moving, don't you want to be in the house of God? Don't you want to be changed? Don't you want to step up your game? It's like, Let's build that capacity. Let's build that desire for increase. Let's build that desire to know God more. And that's what Hezekiah is setting out to do in his reign. And he starts out month, the first month of the first year of his reign. This is what we're going to do. We're going to reopen the temple and we're going to make sure it gets cleaned out. And he cleans house. And he calls back all the Levites. Some of you are like, well, who's the Levites? <laughs> The Levites were the tribe that were, their whole tribe was dedicated to serving God and to taking care of the temple. So imagine for a moment, like I'm trying to think of analogies so everybody's kind of on the same page and following a little bit what's happened here. Hezekiah's father's reign was so wicked, it had been similar to like in America, the president gets into position and somehow fires all the pastors or makes it so none of the pastors can ever make any money. Some, some law... And so for 15, 20 years, there's no pastors anywhere in America, except maybe underground. And then a new, a new president comes in, and he undoes that law and says, all right, we're going to have pastors again. After two decades. Like, don't you think some of the pastors would not know what to do? Some of the pastors would be out of practice. Some of the pastors were like, oh, I get to do that. Like, and there, there'd have been some faithful underground serving God. Like, that's never going to go away. But like, there kind of wouldn't be enough. Because there wouldn't have been any training programs to become new pastors. There wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been the buildup and the infrastructure in place. And so Hezekiah literally has to do this for his whole kingdom, guys. He has to train the Levites. He has to train the priests and say, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Here's the law of God. I don't know if you forgot about this book called the Bible. And he has to teach them and he has to train them and he has to create the infrastructure and set it in motion so that they can even serve. And I'm reading this story and I'm reading all of the things that Hezekiah has them do. And he's calling out leaders and he's calling out ministers and he's putting them in position. And he's saying, here, you do this and you do that. You take care of this and you take care of that. And they're setting it and like, we look at it and we're like, I thought revival was God just kind of, poof, here's some revival for you. Just magically happens. You can't plan a revival because that, that's, that's just human effort. 
Like that kind of stuff goes through our head a little bit. And you know what? Revival is actually a unique time where human effort and God's effort meet. Because revival has to be God's work, right? But it has to be met with a bunch of people who want God to move, who are hungry for God to move, who've been praying and are ready for God to move. Because if they're not ready, if they're not in position, that move of God is going nowhere. And so what Hezekiah is doing is he's like, month one, year one, here's how, we're, how this is going to be. During my reign, it's not going to be like my father's reign. My father's reign was full of wickedness. We're going to change things. We're going to shift things. And so he sets out and has the temple purified front to back. So they had to go through and clear out the temple of all the junk, all the foreign gods, all the little trinkets to the foreign gods. And then they had to purify the temple. And it took, uh, I think, two full weeks for the priests to go through and purify the temple again and consecrate it to the Lord. And my guess is there was some cleaning that needed to happen and some dust that needed to be gotten rid of. But there was also specific things that they did to purify a room. And we won't get into all of that right now. But verse 10, Hezekiah says this. He says, Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will, not, will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. And I love the audacity of this. Hezekiah says, I intend to make a covenant with Yahweh. So here's what you're going to do. And I'm sure the Levites were like, we got fired like two decades ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? How do we do all of this? Hezekiah is just, this is how we're doing it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to serve God. And I'm going to make a covenant and this is who we're going to be now. And you're going to serve him. You're going to serve him. And they go through the temple. And they purify it. And they remove the foreign gods. And we're going to skip ahead to chapter, or we're still in chapter 29. But we'll go up to verse 25. And so all the purification has happened. The Levites are now in position. The, the priests are now in position. And to be clear here, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. Just so you're kind of following the story. So there's priests and Levites together that all work to serve God in the temple, but not every Levite was designated as a priest. Does that make sense? Okay. So verse 25. Hezekiah stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres. In, uh, not lyres as in telling, not telling the truth. It's, it's a specific type of instrument. In the way that was prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan, the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. And as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of King David of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship. While the singers sang and the trumpeters played, all this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering 
was completed. Now, to help us kind of picture this, because we're reading through it and it sounds like, oh, this happened in a couple minutes. Okay, first of all, if you haven't had anybody serving the Lord or serving in the temple for a couple decades, you don't just like, hey, here's some instruments, play. Play a tune for me. Like, it takes practice to get things set up and organized and in position. Okay, so this would have taken probably a few months to get the Levites in position to actually play their instruments, play together, and make some nice music. Maybe they had to go learn the psalms again. Maybe they'd never even heard the psalms before, depending on how, how, how long it had been for their family or how faithful their family was. And then secondly, the primary part of worship was the sacrifice. So the songs are happening, but it's happening as the burnt offering is taking place. And they had their rituals for how, that they, how they would set up this burnt offering. So you got to imagine, the whole assembly is gathered. They prep the bull, get it all ready. They kill the bull. They, they light it on fire. And how long do you think it would take for an entire bull to be consumed in fire? I mean, it kind of depends on how hot the fire is, but like I'm thinking a turkey tastes like, takes like, what, four hours? So this bull, like let's just say they had a hot enough fire, the bull takes four hours. That's a long worship set. That's a long worship set. And they worshiped the whole time until the burnt offering was completed. And when the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshiped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshiped. This is beautiful for a specific reason that I noticed. One of the other aspects of revival, some of you have heard of revival, you've seen revival, you've prayed about revival, you've studied it a little bit, maybe you've read some books, And one of the things that comes up consistently in modern revivals is repentance and tears. Those are good things. And the Bible teaches that. But it teaches that elsewhere. Did you notice what happened here? I didn't read anything about tears. I didn't hear anything about repentance. I heard rejoicing. I heard rejoicing. One of the hallmarks of Hezekiah's revival, this is just the beginning, one of the hallmarks of his revival was rejoicing. They came together to celebrate and they praised God and worshiped him and sang to him. And it doesn't say the people were remorseful and cut to the heart and the people cried a bunch of tears and that's what the revival was. It says that they all rejoiced together and praised him. That's really interesting to me. Let's skip down to verse 35 here. Because i got to keep moving fast. There's a lot, of, a lot of verses. Verse 35. So there were burnt offerings in abundance, together with the fat of the fellowship offerings and drink offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because he had done it so quickly. They knew it would take time to set everything up. But it happened relatively quickly, relatively cohesively. And what are they doing again? Rejoicing. 
They're rejoicing in God. They're rejoicing in his word. They're rejoicing in, in the work that has been done so quickly. And the temple being reestablished. So the first step in revival is establishing the place of worship. Reestablishing worship taking place. Songs being sung. Sacrifices being given. And I joke about this a lot during our offering messages, but aren't you thankful today that all you have to do is give God a little money? You don't have to like bring a goat, some bird, like, oh, I don't want to kill this poor dove. Right? Or like you have to go find a bull. <laughs> like imagine, imagine, like today's sacrifice is kind of easy to do. You just like punch in some numbers on your phone and you're like, whew, that was a sacrifice. Wow. And all you're doing is watching some digits change on your bank account, you know? It's like, it would be a whole ordeal if we had to actually sacrifice a bull or a goat or something. So uh, worship has changed. And, and part of it is realizing that nowadays, because Jesus was the final sacrifice, like, I'm getting off the topic of my actual message, but like, we all understand Jesus is the final sacrifice. So we don't have to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats anymore. That's like, that's done away with. But what we're reading about was the setup so that we would recognize Jesus when he came. Okay, so we'll keep moving here. The temple's been reestablished. So this is step, step one in revival. The temple reestablished or established at all, right? Worship being established and the people rejoicing. Chapter 30, verse one. Hezekiah then sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. And you're like, okay, so he's sending letters to these two dudes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, that's great. Hope they show up. No, Ephraim and Manasseh were whole tribes of people. And Ephraim, at this time, in this day and age, Ephraim was often a uh, euphemism for Israel. It represented the northern kingdom of Israel. So later on, if you guys are reading in Jeremiah or um, the book of Isaiah or something like that, sometimes you'll read God referencing Ephraim, and he's actually talking about all of the northern tribes of Israel. And if you're lost a little bit at the time period we're in or whatever, again, you can go back to last week's message. <laughs> I gave a little bit more of the timeline and context of this, but just because I'm reading so much scripture today, I don't want to get bogged down in that. But needless to say, the northern tribes, 10 tribes of Israel, are split off from the southern tribes of Judah. So the revival that's taking place is only taking place in Judah, but Hezekiah sent letters to the northern tribes anyway and invited them. Like, hey, we're having a revival you want to show up? God's going to move. Do you want to show up? We'd love for you to come. And so he sends them all throughout, and they make plans to celebrate Passover. And it says, uh, verse, th verse 3, they had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had been consecrated themselves, and the people had not been assembled in Jerusalem. So remember what I just, I gave you an analogy about like, America and pastors and they're not being enough. Like that's literally the crisis they're facing. Like they had not been celebrating Passover regularly because there weren't enough priests and Levites to do the work. There weren't enough in position. But Hezekiah is feeling moved by God and he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna wait for everybody to be ready. We're gonna, we gotta start somewhere. We gotta start at some point. So let's start, let's get it moving. Let's get it going. Let's, let's send letters to all the tribes and see who shows up. 
So jump down to verse 6. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he, might, so that he made them an object of horror. As you see, don't be stiff-necked as your fathers were. Submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary which he, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your brothers and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. It's so crazy. There's like, these are supposed to be the people of God that these letters are being written to, and they're scorning and ridiculing them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. So here's one of the other clear pieces of revival is unity. There has to be unity. Because if people, some are off here doing this and some people are off here doing that and they're not unified, how's God going to move? God wants to move through a people who are unified in purpose and heart. And so one of the keys to revival is this idea of unity. We're going to do this whether we're scorned and ridiculed. We're going to pursue God. We're going to return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to return to him, and we're going to be unified in this desire. We're going to be unified in this purpose. We're going to seek this out together. We're expecting God to move together. There's a power that only happens when we're unified. And you can see how this would correlate to us nowadays, right? It's like we're praying for revival. We're believing for revival. But some of you may not have that same heart, or it may not even occur to you. Like sometimes when we're so caught up in our own everyday life and we're, we're praying for our own prayer requests and we're, we're praying for this person over here or we're trying to reach out to the homeless or we're trying to, like, all good things, but if we're not unified in our purpose and what we're pursuing, then those things can become distractions. They're good things, but they're distractions from what God might want to do. And it keeps us from unifying. It keeps us from letting God move in our midst like we're supposed to. Unity takes us into revival. And you can't let the scorn or the ridicule of somebody else stop you, even people of God. There's other churches that are good churches. And they might laugh, like, what? Revival? Like, not every church seems to care about revival. Let's be honest about that. Like not some churches, and maybe God's got a different call for them, but like if you listen to their voice, it's going to distract you from your purpose and your call. 
You want to make sure that you're getting revival ideas, revival mentalities fed to you. The desire to pursue him and seek his face and see his love and his power poured out on a group of people. Because God's done it since all the way back with Hezekiah. Jump with me over to verse 19. We're going to keep moving. Verse 19, we're still in chapter 30. Actually, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Although many, most of the people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, they still ate the Passover meal, contrary to what was written in the law. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Here's one of the other key concepts of revival. We tend to want people to be clean first. Get rid of your bad habits, get rid of your addictions, get rid of your sin, then you can come to God. And God has rules for holiness. God has expectations for his people. But sometimes we use those expectations to keep other people out. To point the finger at them and say, you're not clean enough to come into the house of God. You're not clean enough to participate in the meal. You're not clean enough to celebrate with us. And churches sometimes preach it like that. And Hezekiah realizes they've done this really quickly. They've put this together, and these people came from Zebulun and Naphtali, they came from these other tribes, and they showed up, and they didn't know about the rituals of purification. They didn't even know how to consecrate themselves. They hadn't heard that it was a thing. And so Hezekiah didn't say, oh, well, can't, can't come with us then, can't eat this meal. He turned and he said, if you set your heart to seek God, he'll cover you. If you set your heart, if your heart is to seek him, then you're covered. That's what really matters. That's what really matters. And so one of the other keys of revival is it's an invitational thing. It's not a keep people out thing. Revival is not for church people. Revival is for all people. We're not going to sit here and say, you have to meet this criteria in order to come in. You have to be clean enough. You have to be sinless enough to come in. You get to, you get to access as long as you're seeking him. As long as you're hungry for the living God. As long as you want to seek his face. And why do we, why do we even know this is a thing? Because the way Hezekiah prayed, he said, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking him. Sometimes I think we've got this idea that in the Old Testament, God was this mean, wrathful being. And in the New Testament, he's just all love. But Scripture teaches clearly that God's character never changes. And we act like God has this single facet, like a good God can't ever get angry. 
pretty sure, pretty sure those aren't mutually exclusive. Now, what you do in your anger, <laughs> some of us get sinful as soon as we're angry. God can be angry and not sin. I need to learn that from him. <laughs> right? But God, Hezekiah knew God was good. And that became his default assumption. So when we're talking about revival and we're inviting people to church, we're inviting people to seek God's face, you find someone who's hungry, who's interested in seeking him, make sure they know he is good. He is good. He'll pardon you. Don't let your sinfulness, don't let your darkness, don't let your evil keep you away from God. The fact that you have those things mean you need him. That's why we need him. Guys, you're not going to get clean without him. That's the only way it works. The only way you can get cleaned up, the only way that you can get fixed, the only way that you can get rid of your sin is by his power. You're not going to be able to do this by your own strength. So I love this part because even in the midst, it's messy. It's like, oh, wait, a bunch of people showed up and they're not clean. They haven't consecrated themselves. They didn't even know they were supposed to consecrate themselves. Like, aren't you supposed to dress up for church? Didn't you know you can't wear that in here? Like, you know how people, church people get about things sometimes? Like, wait, why, why do we expect someone to know that the first time they showed up at church? And why is that the thing? Like, we're going to really camp on that and be like, you know, you have to have a three-piece suit in order to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, it's a, it's a mentality that keeps people out. One of the first things that I get asked when I'm inviting someone to church is, what do I wear? Like, why is that in your mind? Like, just come meet Jesus. He'll pardon you. Like, at least we're closed. But other than that, we're good, you know? <laughs> Verse 21, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, for seven days with great rejoicing while the Levites and the priests sang to the Lord every day accompanied by the Lord's instruments of praise. Does that sound like revival to you? That sounds like revival to me. Seven days of singing and eating. That sounds pretty great. Seven days celebrating, feasting together. And guys, remember, like not a single, I, I don't read about one single tear. Tears are good, tears of repentance, if you need to change, if you need to get touched by God. But guys, remember, that is not the only thing that qualifies a revival. And revival might have days of weeping and it might have days of rejoicing. And you, we follow the Spirit of God. We don't get into it expecting it to look one particular way. What if what needs to happen? What, what if what revives your soul is laughter? Lucky you, I got jokes. <laughs> I love this. The priests sang to the Lord every day. And they celebrated seven days. This is, that's a great feast. I have never been to a seven-day party. 
Have you? Like, it's lost on us. This is, this is huge, guys. And it's the whole assembly. All of Israel shows up at Jerusalem, and it's a party for seven days, celebrating, rejoicing in the Lord, and singing praise together with him. In verse 22, Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed, a, who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days, they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their father. So the Levites are stepping in. And notice, like, it says, he spoke encouragingly to the Levites who showed good understanding. Like, some of them didn't know still. It's a learning curve. How do we do this? What are we doing? They're figuring it out. And Hezekiah speaks encouraging. Some of you expect that every time God speaks, it has to be convicting. You need a little rebuke in there. Or it, it, it wasn't a good sermon. I needed, I needed to cut me up a little bit. Like, that's good. That's needed. But sometimes you need somebody to speak encouragingly to you. You need your leaders to speak encouraging messages to you. And so say, you know what? You're showing some good understanding. I love what you're doing. Keep serving him. Keep praising him. Keep lifting him up. And he speaks encouragement to the Levites who offered praise. Verse 23, then the whole assembly agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. Okay, now revival's really broken out. Right? Like, first they meet together for seven days, and it's a huge party. And then they decide, God's moving. This is great. We're turning to him. Let's do this another seven days. And I hear that voice, like, you, you can't plan a revival. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can decide, you know what? God's moving. Let's do more. Let's show up tomorrow. Let's, let's see what God does. I, some of you know the history of our church and some of you don't. But our church and what it is and the ethos that it exists out of was birthed in revival. And Pastor Steve got struck by the Spirit of God during a powerful moment. And it set the whole church jumping and dancing and rejoicing. And then when that happened, Pastor Steve said, says he could barely talk. He was so struck by God. He could barely get any words out. I'm like, I've listened to you for 16 years. Well, I've listened to him longer than that now. 18, I've listened to Pastor Steve for 18 plus years, and I've never personally found him at a loss for words to say. <laughs> but in that moment, he was so struck by God. He didn't know what else. He said, I could barely get the words out. But I said, I don't know what's happening. Let's show up tomorrow and see what God does. And so that's what the church did. And this is a little country church with stained glass windows, like the classic one that you picture out in the country. Town of 500 people. So they showed up the next night. And then again the next night. And then again the next night. And God kept moving. And pretty soon people from other towns and other states and then other countries we're showing up to get touched by God. To see what God would do. And, and they found themselves hosting a revival. That's amazing. 
You're like, well, you can't plan it. Well, you got to tell people what time to show up. <laughs> you got to organize some things. You got to have somebody to play the instruments. You got to have people in position to serve. Because <laughs> if you're going to host, you got to have people in place, right? And that's what Hezekiah does, is he makes the plans, he sets things in place, but then you can tell that God is moving in their midst. God's moving in their midst. He shows up so all the people are rejoicing. Some of these people traveled from really far. And they show up at this, what ended up being 14-day-long party. Had plenty of food, plenty of rejoicing. They got to worship God. I bet, they, I bet these people were never the same after this experience. It changed their lives. And some of you, I'm watching your eyes a little bit and I'm, as I'm talking, like, I hope I'm stirring something in you for the future of what could be where maybe we're not having church every single night and maybe you're not at church every single night, but maybe our church is having church and hosting revival every single night. What if God moves and we decide, like, let's see what this is. Show up tomorrow night. Let's see what God does. Lives are being changed. People are being healed. People are being set free. Salvation is happening. Let's show up. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Hmm. This is such a powerful idea. Lots of rejoicing. Verse 20, uh, we'll just keep reading here. Verse 25. So the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the aliens who had come from Israel and those who lived in Judah. Uh, aliens just meant foreigners, just to be clear. <laughs> You're like, wow, they had UFOs and everything. They were really rejoicing. <laughs> Verse 26. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Guys, that's over 200 years. Nothing like this had happened. For, that's, why, that's why we're calling it a revival. Nothing like this had happened in Jerusalem for 200 years. Verse 27, the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people. And God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. And that's what we want. This is another piece of revival, guys. Revival is when you know God hears you. When you feel like your prayers are really actually reaching heaven. Because sometimes I know what it's like. I know, I know you know what it's like. When you're praying and it feels like a struggle, it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling or off the walls. It feels like, God, are you hearing me? And you feel that frustration. You're like, God, am I connecting with you? Are you really there? Are you really moving? Revival is answered prayer. Revival is connecting with heaven. What did Jesus say? Jesus told us to pray. And say, your kingdom come, your will be done, what? On earth, as it is in heaven. This is what we pray. This is what we seek. That, to me, is revival. As we pray and expect God to move, we expect heaven on earth. 
and it changes people. And sometimes it leads to tears and mourning and crying out to God. And sometimes it leads to rejoicing and celebration. Guys, sometimes, sometimes the fellowship and the meal that happens after the service is just as much a part of the revival as the service itself. Because that's what they did. They sacrificed a burnt offering and they all sang together. And then you know what they did? They ate the burnt offering together. That's what they did. Revival is God coming down and meeting with his people and his people enjoying time with him and each other. Revival means our prayer reaches heaven. We have God's ear. And we know we have God's ear. Some of you, some of you know, like, I've got God's ear. I've got a good prayer life. I know I connect with him. And some of you still struggle with this. That's okay. Just like Hezekiah said, you can't let your uncleanness keep you from praying. You need to be reminded God is good. And he pardons you. Some of you stop praying or you feel like, you, I can't pray today, I messed up too much. God's not going to listen. God's not going to hear. Guess what? You guys are not, like, some of you in here maybe have some wicked stuff, but like nobody's as wicked as this. Nobody's literally bowing down to idols. Nobody in here, I know. Serving other gods. Like, you've messed up. You've had some sin in your life this week, but nobody in here is doing what they were doing. You know what Hezekiah did? Or, sorry, not Hezekiah. Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, want to know one of the reasons why he was so wicked? He sacrificed his own sons in fire to another god. None of you have done that. That's wicked. That's the lives that... The, the people, the, Israel, the Israelites and the, the people of Judah were living during this time. That's how wicked they were. That's how far from God they had fallen. Some of you fall far from God from day to day and you struggle, and, but your mind is still on him. You're still, excuse me, you still want to please him. And he's going to help you. He's going to help you clean up. But you need to realize he hears you because he is good. When you pray, don't stop. Just because you don't feel heard doesn't mean you don't have a connection to heaven. When you mess up, that's the perfect time to pray. When you recognize your struggle, when you recognize your sin, that's when you pray. That's what the Israelites did. They turned to God in the midst of it, and revival broke out, and rejoicing happened, and meals were shared, and the Levites finally got rehired and had food. Because this, this changed an entire nation. And the reason that I called it a prequel is because the, like the sermon I preached last week was about how Jerusalem ended up, a couple years after this, Jerusalem ended up surrounded by an enemy. We know at least 185,000 trained warriors surrounding a city. There was no hope. 
And in my opinion, the reason that they were able to follow Hezekiah, the reason that they listened to him and they didn't waver, the reason that God came down and rescued them from a powerful, powerful nation and the sure destruction, the reason God rescued them is because of this. Because they had turned to Yahweh and repented. They had turned to Yahweh and rejoiced. They had turned to him and celebrated Passover and there was a revival in the land. And I think it's not too late, but I think the, the path that America is currently on, we're a decade or two away from being surrounded. I think that's the path that we're currently on. I think it's important to recognize as Christians, as believers, as the people who are supposed to be the so-called salt of the earth, to recognize the danger that lies ahead and the path that we are on as a nation. And to pray accordingly. And sometimes you're going to be called and led to pray tears of repentance on behalf of a nation. But sometimes it's us standing out from the crowd and showing like, Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's praise Yahweh God. Let's show the world who Christians are. Let's actually love each other and enjoy fellowship and being together. Let's unite in purpose. That's what Hezekiah did. And it prepared the nation to stand behind him when they needed it most. Because they had just watched. Guys, remember I talked about the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel was two to three times the size of Judah. And during Hezekiah's reign, Assyria came and destroyed them. And Judah was next. The Assyrians came sweeping through, conquered. They, 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 lead, they laid siege to Samaria for four years starved out the people, and then deported almost 30,000 people across all over the Middle East. And Judah did their next, unless God intervened. And we learned last week how God intervened, how God rescued a people and saved them in the face of sure destruction. Here's the final piece today. Chapter 31, verse 1. So remember, we just got done learning that their prayers reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Verse 1 of chapter 31. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah and they smashed the sacred stones and they cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars all throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. One of the final pieces of revival is a revived group of people going and smashing the false gods. Destroying them, getting rid of them whatever it takes, ruthlessly cutting them out of their life. This is, the big, this is a big part of that revival being sustained. Because if you just leave the false gods in their place and you don't get rid of them, then your heart gets entrapped by them all over again. You have to seek and destroy those false gods and get rid of them. 
And, and you think like, you, you think that the, the thing that led to this was them repenting and crying out to God, but it was actually rejoicing and celebration. And they realized the goodness of Yahweh and they left that town, they left Jerusalem after celebrating for 14 days and they went and they got rid of every foreign god. They got rid of all the false idols. They tore down Asherah poles. God, guys, these were the gods of their fathers. These were the people, like, people had been serving these gods and sacrificing to these gods. Hezekiah's own father sacrificed what would have been Hezekiah's other brothers in the fire to these false gods. And Judah said, no more. And they went all throughout the towns and smashed the idols. And here's another key piece of revival for us. And I know there's been like a lot of little points to this message. You might have to go back and kind of re-listen and make sure you're getting each of the different steps because they're not the only steps to revival, but they're the steps of revival that it took for Hezekiah. And probably some of us in this room, we've got false gods in our heart. Idols, voices of the enemy that we've allowed to speak too loud. That you need to go through your life. You need to go through your heart and say, God, point these out. Point out where money speaks too loudly. Point out where my job, my position, my title, my own selfishness, my desires. Point out where I have false gods and false rulers in my life dictating what I do that keep me from you. God, help me to smash those idols and get rid of them. Help me to root them out of my life. Tear them down and destroy them. God, burn them up in your all-consuming fire. God, I give these idols to you. I want to get rid of all of these attitudes. I want to get rid of all of these addictions. I want to get rid of this, this self that constantly rules and tells me what to do. This narcissistic thing that I feed all the time. God, I want to smash those things. I want to get rid of those things. I want you to melt them out of my heart. I want you to burn them up and consume them. That's what revival does. And sometimes it happens after the revival because people were responding. But for those of us who are preparing for revival, who are saying, God, we want you to move. God, we want you to do something more. God, we don't want to just play nice church. We don't want to show up and just sing a couple songs, hear a nice message and go home. God, we want revival. We want you to move. We want your power present in our midst. We want healing to break out. We want people set free. We want demonic strongholds to be torn down. For those of us where that's our heart cry, where that's the thing that we're unifying over, we got to start now. We got to start now. If we're going to have the capacity to contain revival, then we got to hold ourselves to the, to the level of the Levites and consecrate ourselves ahead of time, to be ready ahead of time. Say, God, remove these things from my heart. Remove these things from my mind. I'm tired of letting these things rule my life. Help me to seek and destroy every attitude that sets itself up against you. To demolish strongholds.
Jesus. Jesus, I pray for us today. Who? That you would stir something and revive Chicago church. Stir something fresh and new. A desire to consecrate ourselves. A desire to get rid of these evil things in our lives. A desire to not just let things slide. Prepare us, God. Prepare us. God, help us to feel the weight of a city and a nation whose very existence may depend on a revival. Whose continued existence may depend on a move of God. Help us to see ahead of time. Help us to look into the next decade and see where the nation is heading, where this city is heading, and stand in the gap and pray and believe and unite together. Help prepare us, God, so that there's not a shortage of priests and Levites when the time comes. Prepare us ahead of time, Jesus. Today we get rid of every foreign god. We get rid of every, every false idol. Idols and monuments we've built to ourselves in our own selfishness. Money that tells us and talks so much and tells us what to do and pushes us around. and greed, and slander, and pride. Oh, God, we tear down pride. We choose to humble ourselves so that you don't have to humble us. We choose to lay down our life so that you can take it and do what you want with it. God, today we want you to have your way. Revive us, oh God. Revive your church. Revive your people. Revive us, God. Consecrate us today. Help us to get rid of our idols. To be so convinced to be so convinced that we go through our heart, we go through our life, we go through our bank accounts and get rid of the idols. God, I pray that today those hearing my voice would be so convinced, so convicted by your spirit, not by, not by my words, but by your spirit to go and do something about it, to go do something different, to go through the towns, to go through the cities and smash and destroy anything that's sacred, that's not 
That's not of God. The things that we've held sacred that shouldn't be sacred at all. Jesus. Jesus, we want to see revival. We want to see it. Come and move in our day. Come and move in our midst. Jesus. Jesus. feel like the normal thing is to come to the altar. But unless you're really being driven to, I feel like God's working in your seats right where you are. And so I'm just going to ask that during the next couple minutes, you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Where you take the next few minutes and you consecrate yourself. You ask the Holy Spirit to set you apart. Maybe wait, you can hit that light. Hit, hit number two. Ask him. Ask him to help you get rid of the idols. Ask him to show you anything in your life, in your heart that's before him and ahead of him that you prioritize ahead of Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, that's what an idol is. An idol is anything that comes ahead of him. God, I don't want to have anything ahead of you. I don't want to have anything in my heart that's first before you. I just want you first. Topple my idols.
put away the pride, cut away the selfishness. Put away the ugliness, God. Jesus, Jesus. Smash the idols, smash the idols. Tear down our pride, the altars that we've set up to our own prideful desires. Jesus. God, give us clear actions this week. Because oh, you've got to get rid of it. You've got you've to desire that this is the thing that's got to be cut out like a tumor. It's sucking the life out of you. It's draining the spiritual life out of you. It's preventing you from being close to the one who made the universe. Smash those idols. Smash those things. Recognize them for what they are. They're doctrines of demons, the voice of culture, the voice of self. move in this room. Holy Spirit, come and move in this room. More, deeper, God, get at the roots. Get at the roots of these things. Get at the roots of these mindsets and these attitudes. Tear them down. Root them out. If you've got bitterness in your heart, you can't just chop down the tree. You have to dig out the roots. If you've got offense, a grievance against some other person that you're holding against them, unforgiveness that you're holding against them, that is an idol that you have put ahead of God. Cut it out. Cut it out. Smash it. Tear it down. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize how it's sucking everything out of your life. It's sucking out. You, you can't even be joyful and happy. Would you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Everything I am. Everything I have. It's yours. I put you first. Everything else, help me get it out of the way. Help me tower down every idol. Help me smash every bit of pride and selfishness. Every bit of ego and unforgiveness. Every bit of, un uh, every bit of bitterness and offense. Get it out of my life. Every addiction. Root it out. 
Root it out. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.